0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem DiDuccio, and this time round, we're doing the Martin Scorsese movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, which means... There's no trick to this one. We're going to be talking about the movie and the fact that it's set nearly 100 years ago, talking about Native American culture and a piece of history that generally isn't very well known, along with a chance to talk about some titans of movies. Mr. Scorsese, also De Niro and also Leonardo DiCaprio as well. Okay, so lots of things to talk about there. And I get to wax lyrical about this. It also will lead us into the conversation about streaming, so lots to be getting on this time round, but first of all, Killers of the Flower Moon is based on a book where that's the first half of the title, the second half of the title is The Making of the FBI. What was interesting is the book itself did heavily look at the events that are portrayed in the movie, but then moved on to the formation of the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover, and it turns into a police procedural, almost. And that's the way the movie was originally written. What was interesting is DiCaprio was originally meant to be the FBI investigator, trying to get to the truth of what was going on there. And he didn't like it. And so, with him and Scorsese, they completely rejigged it the FBI element is there but it comes in in the last third or quarter of the movie and Jesse Plemons now plays the FBI agent and it's a very little role his main characteristic is he wears a big cowboy hat and and that's it but instead far more time was spent on the relationships within this highly complicated and combustible environment, and DiCaprio decided to play a completely flawed character who ended up going to prison because of the things that he did and who he was working for. It's more of a meditation of colonialism and the treatment of ethnically local and different groups that has happened throughout the world this is not just an american thing and that's the thing about dicaprio this is one that i guess kick off with dicaprio i first noticed him as an acting talent in what's eating gilbert grape in what's eating gilbert grape i'm going to guess he was about 20 he might have been a teen and he plays a teen with disabilities and he gets nominated for an oscar and he is so fresh-faced so young looking you can't believe that somebody that young could play such a complex role and ever since then i've been a fan of his i've heard a few people say he's never made a bad film i don't think he's ever made a one-star film or a two-star film but there are clearly better versions of things than others but the missteps are very much early on in his career. Interestingly, one that was a huge hit at the time and elevated him to heartthrob status is The Beach, which is just a very average film. It, it's okay. It, there's, it's nothing special. But then you get movies that just aren't talked about anymore, like blood diamond for example it's a great film where he does a really good zimbabwean accent sorry it should be afrikaans accent sorry should it be a Rhodesian accent that's turned into a whole thing in the movie and of course there are his extremely well-known films such as wolf of wall street or the revenant or once upon a time in hollywood those little black boxes They're called telephones. I'm going to let you on a little secret about these telephones. They're not going to dial themselves, okay? Without you, they're just worthless hunks of plastic. But these aren't the only good roles he's done. My favourite Nolan movie is Inception, and it's in no small part to the tour de force performance, not just of the director, but of DiCaprio in the central role. You feel for him in that movie. So I'm a big fan of his. It's become a piece of Hollywood legend where he's already a good actor and he gets to be the heartthrob, one of the two central characters in Titanic. And he is constantly on James Cameron's case saying, can't I have a limp? Can't I be this? Can't I be sort of torn up from a war or Irish independence attempts or whatever? In other words, he just wants something from the character because he recognizes that his actual character that the way Cameron's written him is nothing he's just a pretty face he's just an object of desire for the lady for Kate Winslet and Cameron kept pushing back on that in essence he says I know what you need to be in this film you just need to be the heartthrob and it might not have worked as well if he had been a limped war veteran of irish independence or or doomed irish independence in 1912 or something like that certainly he would have been more fun doing it but you might not have bought in on the romance he was the romeo in romeo and juliet which he did with baz Luhrmann and claire danes and all that good stuff and it worked well but i think he's a bit bitter about that role because it was one of the biggest movies of all time and it's certainly not his best performance of all time but at the time He had the number one and number two movies in North America, Titanic and The Man in the Iron Mask. Again, a film which nobody's going to turn around and say that's a five-star classic, but he's clearly having fun being villainous in that. And indeed, he has been a great villain in something like Django Unchained and Wolf of Wall Street as well. He's been a villain in a number of different areas and he is one again in this one. But then there's... See, I am not a fan of the Scorsese version of inception you know the one with the island where he's an fbi investigator going around you know the one i'm talking about i don't want to go too much into it i just i found the twist totally unbelievable and it came out so close to Inception, it's like Inception is so much better than this. But anyway, that's another story for another time. Also, there's The Aviator with Martin Scorsese as well, which is, again, a very underrated role. Nobody talks about The Aviator anymore. It absolutely hangs off his shoulders. He plays Howard Hawks, and he shows his descent into madness, neurodiversity. I'm not quite sure what people are going to say nowadays, but it wasn't a fun ride for Mr. Hawks. So yeah, he's a really interesting actor and he does not get the respect he deserves because people tend to think of he's the Titanic guy and forgets all the interesting movies. So going back to The Revenant, which he did finally win a Best Actor Oscar for, he's a vegetarian. And there is a scene where a bison is killed and a Native American offers him the liver this is raw liver from the bison and it's there to keep him alive so the liver that's offered by this Native American is real raw liver not exactly the most fun thing for anybody to eat but they created this kind of spongy fake version, pink version of a bison liver that was made out of vegan products and he took one look at it and went Nobody's going to believe that's the thing. And he went for it for the purposes of the movie. And I've never seen somebody look so cold in a film as in The Revenant. I remember the moment in the film. And please, if you haven't seen The Revenant, it's just an amazing movie. I'm not going to say the bit. But there is one moment where he is almost naked in the snow. And clearly, this is not in a studio. And he's shivering. And it's like, just give the man an Oscar. He's going to kill himself if you don't. But going back to it, he has this incredible body of work. Body of Lies. So I said body of work, that triggered it. Body of Lies is a completely forgotten movie. Really good thriller in that. And again, he plays really well. The Departed, another amazing Scorsese movie. And he's just absolutely fabulous in that. Again, he's sort of really tortured in that. And Matt Damon is delicious as the bad guy in that one. That's a great film. Finally gets Scorsese the Best Director Oscar. He's been in quite a few films. It's interesting the ones that are remembered and forgotten. But if you look back at them, he is consistently bringing his A game to these movies. I would absolutely hire him for any movie, but in this film, he's at his most unlikable. Even when you're dealing with the horrific racist in Django, it's also over the top. You enjoy the performance, but here, and what's brilliant about it is fundamentally, DiCaprio is not playing an evil man he is just a weak man an easily led man he is a greedy man but he is a man genuinely in love with his wife it might not have started that way but he obviously loves her but does terrible things because he is so easy to manipulate by Robert De Niro a man who has played so many great roles over his career see it's interesting DiCaprio's career obviously started after De Niro's career and yet as soon as I say Robert De Niro people remember Raging Bull, Taxi Driver and the list goes on. It could be Cape Fear, it could be Goodfellas, it could be Casino and yada yada yada. He's just been in so many monumental amazing films but he's also made, I would argue, he's made some utter garbage as well. I think Meet the Parents played well into the De Niro role, and, you know, everybody's allowed a bit of time off, but unfortunately the follow-up movies just got more and more ridiculous and forced him to be more and more ridiculous, and they don't work very well. Analyse this, fun film. Analyse that, lazy sequel. Bullwinkle and Rocky, just, oh, he even mocks himself or riffs off himself with you talking to me. It's like, have some respect there. Bobby. It's been a while since I've seen him in something. People say, oh, Jem, what about the Irishman? And we'll come to the Irishman in a little bit, but up until Heat, he pretty much didn't put a foot wrong. After Heat, it's like panning for gold. There are moments of it, sure, but, and he obviously is getting older as well, but finally here we see something that isn't just De Niro in rage mode. We're back to the character in heat if you like not that the character in heat was fundamentally evil he's sort of more amoral i do what i do best i take scores you do what you do best trying to stop guys like me but in this case you've got evil in the nazi sense of it in in the sense that when you look at the insidious nature the almost bland, banal nature it I'm not sure De Niro raises his voice in anger at any point in the movie, but he knows exactly how to play everybody for his own scheme, to the point where, halfway through the film, where De Niro is clearly obviously guilty of orchestrating all these murders, the Native American community rally to him and see him as an ally, which is exactly what he wants, and he is a wolf in sheep's clothing, He is the enemy hiding in plain sight and he plays the subtlety and the calmness and the patience of real evil. It's an amazing performance which is the complete opposite of something like Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. So... You've got two powerhouse performances and you've got a director who, again, probably has never made a bad film. And you've got all of this swirling together in this remarkable film. But here's the thing. To make this movie, which is about a period of history that nobody's really heard of and it doesn't have a lot of action if any action in it it's given a $200 million budget and... It's allowed to be nearly three and a half hours long. This makes no sense. These big prestige movies, these serious dramas, nowadays, if they're Oscar contenders, they might be made for something like $40 million, because everybody knows that it's not necessarily going to attract big box office you do get occasionally a historical epic that cleans up at the box office but it's pretty rare and it's only getting rarer as we move into the 21st century into the world of marvel although i will be doing an episode on the history of the marvel movies because they ain't even box office gold like they used to be watch out for that one another time so who would give somebody 200 million dollars and say make this film as long as you want because there is a practicality even if it is a popular film the longer the film the less times we can show it in a day and you don't make money as quickly obviously Oppenheimer is an exception to this but this makes Oppenheimer look short even though there is the same amount of action in them. They're both fundamentally movies about people sitting there smoking, wearing trilbies in rooms. They even overlap each other a little bit in terms of time although Killers of the Flower Moon would be right at the beginning of Oppenheimer. Although the end of Killers of the Flower Moon links up with towards the end of Oppenheimer so you're seeing America in two very intelligent ways in the same year. Well done America for showing the moral complexities of your country but whereas Oppenheimer is close to 950 million dollars at the box office on a budget of 100 it is worth remembering that's half the budget Kills of the Flower Moon at the time of recording hasn't gone out of movie theaters yet but it's safe to say it won't even come close to half the amount of money that Oppenheimer made in the box office and bearing in mind You then have to take into account marketing costs and also the fact that the movie theater will take off obviously a cut of the money because they're not a charity so the general rule is whatever it costs to make multiply that by two and a half times and you get to the number where you have to hit to start turning a profit in the theatrical release so in the case of Oppenheimer it needed to get to about 250 million dollars it's brought in 950. There's plenty of cash flowing into Universal, so everybody's happy with that. But for Killers of Flower Moon, 200 times by 2.5 gets you to 500 million. And as I said, it's not even going to get to half of Oppenheimer, it will lose money in the theatrical release. And it was always likely to. It was weird that Oppenheimer made that much money. So, what's going on here? And the answer is. This is the argument about art versus content. If you're looking at things from the perspective of Netflix, which did The Irishman, another three hour plus Martin Scorsese movie where they gave him $200 million, and Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a Martin Scorsese movie where they gave him $200 million and is over three hours, Apple gave him the money this time round. And indeed, Apple also gave Ridley Scott about $200 million to make the Napoleon movie as well. that is at a relatively breezy two and a half hours. I digress slightly. So the point here is, if a movie is going to be on Netflix or Apple TV, it doesn't matter how long it is. I remember with The Irishman, I did not watch it all in one sitting. I think I watched it in three sittings. So, in other words, from my perspective, it was almost like a mini series. And it worked fine that way. And it really doesn't, it absolutely takes its time. I was going to say it doesn't waste its time. It does waste its time. Now, that's not to say that finally, again, not being seen for a long time together. We get De Niro and Pacino in a Scorsese movie. Weirdly, first time you get Pacino in a Scorsese movie, amazing. That's worthwhile, but they're just simply too old to be playing these characters. And it doesn't matter how good the de-aging is, your eyes tell you that this is wrong. And also just sometimes their physical movements if we're talking about guys in the late 70s playing people in their 40s they don't have the same energy just getting out of a chair you can tell that that's an old man who looks younger than he perhaps should be so this is where you are that it's the likes of Netflix and Apple that are giving money to these super ambitious historical epics rather than warner brothers or universal universal as i said they gave him 100 million to christopher nolan to make oppenheimer and they absolutely loved it but it was 100 million when you look at your average marvel movie which cost 200 250 million but as i said even some of those ain't working out financially and the problem of course around all of this is covid and the fact that it's still taking time for people to come back to the movies and things like the writers Strike and the actor strike has not helped in terms of promoting movies or just getting them out the door. What was the hot film of October 2023? There just wasn't a lot of good stuff coming out because nobody wanted to release it. And you get things like June 2 being pushed into the next year and so on and so forth, just at the time when cinema was starting to recover. And there have been billion dollar plus movies like Avatar Way of Water, Top Gun Maverick, Spider-Man No Way Home. This year, we got the Super Mario Brothers and Barbie. People are willing to go to the movie theatres, but there needs to be more event movies, more high-quality movies as well. And whereas Killers of Flat Moon, I would absolutely give it five stars. I would, however, say this is a film that, because it was given any amount of creativity and budget, it simply needs to be cut down. You could cut this down to the same length as Oppenheimer so three hours so you're losing 25 minutes and it would be fine there is a scene where you get a discussion in a court about how they dealt with this drunk Native American woman and killed her in a forest and it's a shocking moment but then later on you then see it happen for real why we already had it described maybe you should cut the two moments together so when they describe the gunshot it then cuts to the real a moment after like five seconds and you see her slumped down dead and that would be shocking why do it both times generally the rule in screenwriting is a scene has to move the story onwards or it has to tell you something you didn't know about the character there is a lovely moment where you get leonardo dicaprio characters and the native american woman who he's starting to court and there's a storm coming and she tells him to be quiet And it is a lovely moment as the two of them, he he starts talking and she goes, just, just be quiet, let it pass. And it is a lovely moment. But there are so many moments like that. It's like you could take that three minutes out of the movie and you'd still know enough about the characters. There is a bit where they have an introduction where you see it from the Native American point of view and then you get various photos, some of them real photos from the era where you get a voiceover describing what's going on pick one you could easily take out 25 minutes and it wouldn't hurt the rhythm of the movie or anything else it overstays its welcome by a little bit but with that on one side this is an example of me not knowing anything about the history and i will get there in a minute but going back to the the content thing at least with apple unlike netflix with something like the irishman or indeed their uh knives out and glass onion movies netflix is so desperate to get it onto netflix it doesn't give it enough time to breathe in the cinema and yet the thing is people will pay to see these things particularly with the sequel to knives out called glass onion that murder mystery it was a big hit for the two weeks it was in the cinema so in other words why not let it run for a month you probably could have got back your production costs by just the theatrical release alone guys come on Don't just waste money. Now, to be fair to Apple, Killers of the Flower Moon is getting a full theatrical release. But because it came out in the middle of the actor's strike, we couldn't have Robert De Niro and DiCaprio and Scorsese sitting there on the chair with Seth Meyers or whatever. Having those three people in the same studio talking to Stephen Colbert or whoever, that would have got people going, wow, I didn't know about this movie. Because the problem is there is just to let you behind the scenes there is actually a reason why books sometimes have different names to the movie version or sometimes have different names to the play version because they're actually playing to different marketplaces and killers of the flower moon has taken me a long time to say it properly so to- killer of the f- killers of the f- oh you see i still have difficulty I, I was thinking about it and then i started tricking myself but the point is it doesn't trip off the tongue okay but right at the beginning of the movie they explain the flower moon is the pastures of this native american territory of the osage people in osage county and these osage peoples they call the prairie when it's covered in flowers for the flower moon it happens in springtime and it's beautiful and the point is these peoples weren't originally from that land. The story of the Native Americans in America is a very sad one. The statistic I know I've mentioned in passing before on this podcast, but this is the perfect place to say it again. In the year 1500, the population of North America was 100% Native American or Native peoples because America didn't even exist in 1500, Okay. By the year 2000, that's 500 years later, the American Statistics Department, which talks about the population and, and, you know, the ethnic diversity there, the census, they worked out that the population of America, the 50 states of the United States of America, was 1% Native American. So... A, that shows you how much more the settlers bred than the natives, but B, it shows you the devastation of genocidal wars, of pathogens being accidentally and sometimes deliberately being spread into continental America. It's horrible. there's There's not a lot of good stuff here. And I know that there are some American states that are trying to play down the eradication of the Native Americans and indeed play down slavery in America and it's like well I am proud that America and its movies are happy to face the dark realities of its history because do you know what there's no such thing as the good old days and I say that as a guy who's written more than a dozen history books it just doesn't happen you you go back let's say 110 years ago women couldn't vote you go back 200 years ago you're going to die if you cut your finger because there are no antibiotics. You go back 300 years ago, slavery everywhere. It's not just a North American thing. I recently did some research and discovered that between the Barbary Corsairs of North Africa and the Crimean Tatars of modern-day Ukraine, between those two groups raiding Europe, be it Southern Europe or Central Europe, over a 200 year period, about 3 million white Europeans were captured and sold into slavery. So, that's from about 1500 to 1700. Just the past was the worst, okay? It may not be great today, but at least women can vote, and we've all agreed that slavery is a bad thing, and you're not going to die if you just cut your finger. Modern medicine's pretty impressive. So, Yes, absolutely, these things should be should be talked about. They may not be the only thing you should talk about. You should talk about the miracle of industrialization in America and so on and so forth. History, very rare, you just get outright good guys and outright bad guys. What happened to the Osage people is they were regularly being pushed further westwards as the settlers kept taking land from these native peoples. And eventually, in modern-day Osage County they were in an area that was pretty poor agriculturally, and in terms of game hunting, it was just they were utterly impoverished. But then, in the 1920s, they strut oil, and at that point, the american government had to concede it's on an indian reservation i'm trying to avoid that word because i know it is racistly charged but that is the technical name for these territories and people use this on tv all the time so as a brit i'm not quite sure when you can or can't use the i word but it does seem to be a legal designation of land and so an indian reservation if it strikes oil that means the native americans there all get the money from it but in the movie, it shows you how the predatory nature of all these white people playing on them, how they will turn round and sell somebody a burial, coffin and burial, for $1,500. This is in the 1920s. Yes, it costs a bit more than that today, but in the 1920s, probably it cost 100 bucks to go through the whole funerary rites and, and get a coffin. So it just shows you that they're just fleecing these Native Americans they are innocent surrounded by wolves again because of all of this and again Scorsese does a very good job through casual conversations or people telling people to line up if you're a woman in charge of a piece of land a Native American woman because this is America in the 1920s so you're doubly discriminated against both racially and sexist as well so you have to have somebody sign off for you for the money it's your money it's your land it's your oil in theory but you need somebody to look after you so what's happening you get all these white men marrying these native american women and start getting rich and dicaprio isn't very charming and he's got this constant rictus grin on his face or not grin or sort of jutting out his chin he he just he's making himself look as ugly as possible which is kind of hard if you're Leonardo DiCaprio. So now we come to Lily Gladstone, Molly. Now, there may be the titans of the director and the two main actors there, but actually a lot of this film hangs on Lily Gladstone's shoulders. And watching this movie, it's like, she has to be nominated for an Oscar. I would argue she's probably likely to win an Oscar, but you just don't know. But if she isn't at least nominated, that is an absolute crime. She is of Native American ancestry and she is the woman who, first of all, starts using DiCaprio's character as the driver and she starts flirting with him, basically. She calls him a coyote because she knows what he is. She knows he's a bit lazy. She knows he's he's no good for anything in particular, but he's good-looking and And he clearly, after a while, does love her. And this is what I mean about these more mature movies, these more adult-orientated movies. It's been a long time since I've seen a film where you got as complicated a love relationship as these two. And DiCaprio, again, maybe he does get nominated for Best Actor Oscar, but he's not easy to like. There are times when he's charming. There are also times when he's vile. But it's almost always because he's weak. And apart from De Niro, almost every single white man in this movie is then they're, they're not evil, but they're greedy and they're amoral and they're probably a bit racist as well. And and it just leads to terrible things. There's one guy who basically phones up somebody for some legal advice and says, I'm thinking about my wife's dead. She's has two children from another marriage. They're due to inherit the land can i become their stepfather can i adopt them and then if they were to die would i then inherit the land and the lawyer says this does sound a lot like you're trying to kill your stepchildren if you like that's the a, a rather dark humor laugh at one point but stuff like this was actually happening for real and I did an episode years ago literally about the Watchmen TV series which opens up with the Tulsa riots in the early 1920s of which I knew nothing and it was so so ridiculous the violence being meted out on this black community in Tulsa in America that I thought it seems to me weird that they're doing this and it wouldn't be based on some truth but I've never heard of this before looked into it and it's like oh my goodness this is a historically accurate reenactment of a crime that's been completely forgotten And that's exactly what this movie is, again. The murder of these women in particular, and it wasn't just women, it was men as well, of these Osage people, it was a mini-genocide. All for money. Just simple as that. No ideologies or anything like that. Just people wanting to be rich and just treating these people as things. And what DiCaprio does to his wife, again, shows his weakness. He's not trying to be a bad man, but he's he is bad, and he gets punished for it. I love these sorts of movies. Like I said, it's a little flawed. It goes on a bit. But when you can eventually see it on Apple TV, that length just doesn't matter anymore. And you need to see this film. It's interesting that the last film that DiCaprio did was Don't Look Up, which was a satire on Netflix, which I did do a whole episode on. But the point here is that you've got a piece of history that's been completely forgotten and yet even when it came to the book it was about the fbi because let's face it who's going to buy a book about a crime nobody's ever heard of but the formation of the fbi is interesting and while the fbi wasn't created solely for the purpose of this this was the first case which showed why you would need a law enforcement agency in America that went across state lines. Because the local law enforcement were in on these crimes, and they just wanted to keep things quiet in the local area. Don't cause any hassle. You know, the only people dying are Native Americans, and who cares about them? That is absolutely not my opinion. That was the opinion of these 1920s law enforcement officers in Osage County. So when the FBI come in, It's obvious what's going on. None of these people, like the DiCaprio character, none of these people are criminal geniuses, except for the De Niro, the uncle, the evil uncle. He's the one that absolutely is, he's almost like playing the role he did in Angel Heart when he plays the, spoiler for Angel Heart, where he actually plays the devil. He channels that kind of attitude. So Jesse Plemons very quickly comes to it and it then turns into a court case. And then at the end of these real documentary type movie things you've seen this before like in the end of goodfellas or, or other films you know exactly what i mean at the end there's then a couple of black screens with white writing on it which tells you what happens next but scorsese being the genius he is he doesn't do it that way what he does is this very strange thing of it cuts to the 1940s And you get people standing in a theater in front of an audience doing a radio show. And it's like, what's going on there? But again, this is Scorsese putting into Amber a bit of history that's become completely forgotten. The FBI... J. Edgar Hoover, this may sound insane, but J. Edgar Hoover actually wanted to promote the FBI, get people to understand what it was, because everyone knows what a sheriff is and everybody knows what a cop is. But who's an FBI officer? So there was literally on American radio back in the 40s, a very popular show of FBI cases. You could argue this is an example of the first true crime podcast going on, and they were hugely popular. These weren't done with anything like the reverence of today, but they were there as pure, raw entertainment. So as they do this, it's historically accurate. And the old, grey-haired man that you've never seen before, who finally walks up to the microphone and tells you what happens to Molly at the end, is Martin Scorsese telling you the audience about the person who he really cares about in the movie it's just marvellous it's just a shame it takes a little too long to get to that scene but once that scene happened I went with my my whole family and particularly my 15 year old who he loved Oppenheimer he said I really struggle with that movie it's just simply too long and he goes stop calling it a five star movie dad he goes I saw other people get out their phones during that film it's just too slow not enough happens in it and he's not wrong But this is an example of a film which you have to savour. This is done at the same speed as something like The Godfather Part 2. But, admittedly, a lot more exciting things happen in Godfather Part 2. But, to actually create a movie pointing out these crimes of these forgotten people and this forgotten period absolutely essential and if you are the sort of person who enjoys good quality movies the sort of movies that they don't make anymore and you're a history buff this is an essential piece of cinema to enjoy and experience perhaps enjoys the wrong word but yeah if anybody's listening if it comes out on dvd get somebody to edit it down to three hours Get 30 minutes out of it to get it to just under three hours. It would be a better movie. And maybe my 15 year old would enjoy it more the second time round. Although trying to strap him down for another go round on that one might be very, very hard. As always, look, I'm, I'm at Jem DiDucci on Twitter and threads. Say hello to me there. Let me know what you think. Have you seen the film? Are you planning to see the movie? Give me some ideas. Always open to some new ideas. It's been a while since I've heard anybody saying, have you thought about doing this, Gem? So come on, you know, give me some thoughts. What can I talk about today that might have some unknown reflections back in the past? And always, you know, please... Click subscribe, give us a review. All this stuff helps. We had a bit of a boost over the summer period of 2023. Got a bit of PR out there as well, but numbers have sort of fallen back a bit. So come on, guys, spread the word, help us out a little bit here. And as always, another episode coming soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.